was the Monday before March break when the TDSB posted the key concerns for e-learning revealed in a survey they hosted. They received approximately 6,000 comments from parents, guardians, students, and secondary school teachers through a survey that revealed the key reasons as to why they do not support the Government of Ontario's plan for mandatory e-learning. The key concerns were lack of face-to-face -face interaction necessary for learning, inability to meet the needs of all learners, inequitable access to technology, online format of instruction, and lack of information and research evidence. Well, it's funny how the world works, because that very Friday the 13th, an ominous stark windy day, the provincial government decided to close all publicly funded schools in Ontario from March 14th to April 5th, amid growing concerns over the spread of COVID-19. That meant that schools would be closed for two more weeks after March break. Many students did not even come to school on the day of that announcement. Uneasiness had already been brewing over stories in the news. That week, the World Health Organization declared the virus a pandemic. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a pandemic as an outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographic area and affects an exceptionally high proportion of the population. That news would scare anyone. That same day, students were startled to find out that Tom Hanks and his wife contracted the virus. Developments were happening so quickly, one right after the other. I guess one could say, talk of the virus itself was a pandemic. Students seemed worried. Teachers were worried. Admin were worried. It was hard not to make lessons on exponential relations tie back to the virus itself. It was an uneasy March break afterwards. Many trips were cancelled. People stayed home glued to the news for the latest developments. On March 24th, the Premier announced that schools would remain closed after April 5th. It was pretty clear at this point that students and teachers would have to rely on online means of instruction. By March 31st, the Ontario government announced that, due to the continued spread of COVID-19, all publicly funded schools in Ontario would remain closed to students until Monday, May 4th. By this point, March seemed like an eternity. Some are comparing the length of that month to an entire year. The confusion and worry grew with each day. On April 14th, the Ontario Premier Doug Ford said that the province's public schools would not be reopening on May 4th after all. By this point, people understood that things were uncertain. To this day, we don't know if schools will open back for the rest of the school year. What we do know is that EQAO assessments and OSSLTs for the remainder of the school year are cancelled. The 40 hours of community involvement necessary for secondary students to graduate has also been suspended. Well, despite the key concerns for e-learning, many people across the world now have no choice but to embrace it in order to continue their education. A key player has emerged in the world of e-learning, and that would be Zoom. Zoom is a video conferencing service founded in 2011 by Eric Huan, a Chinese-born engineer who is the company's CEO. According to an article in The New Yorker by Naomi Fry titled Embracing the Chaotic Side of Zoom, the number of daily users jumped from 10 million last December to 200 million in late March. This has made Zoom the fastest growing video conferencing service in the world. Many businesses are using it for meetings, many families have been using it to chat, and many schools are using it to teach lessons. Zoom stands out from Skype, Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts, and other video conferencing tools because there is no need to log in. This is great for ease of access, but not so great for security. I'll explain that later. 
there's also an active speaker mode in which a single enlarged window is given to whomever is speaking currently. A YouTube channel called TechQuickie posted a video on April 21st entitled, Zoom is getting banned. The video goes over past security concerns with Zoom that were fixed because of public outcry as it began to get more and more popular. The video explains that Google, SpaceX, NASA, the Australian military, and the government of Taiwan forbid their people from using Zoom. The current concerns are that the encryption is weak. Another concern is Zoom bombing, or where people crash Zoom meetings by trying different IDs and seeing which are active. They can then enter chat rooms and play any type of audio or video they want. Another concern is that Zoom routes a lot of traffic through servers in China. China's government doesn't need a warrant to see what's happening on servers located inside the country at any given time. This raises fears for the privacy conscience. Another key player during this period of self-isolating and social distancing that I found is TikTok, a video sharing social networking app. It's emerged as a medium for people to express their experiences with what's going on in the world right now. I'll go through some TikToks that I think relate to e-learning. The first set of TikTok ideas I saw were things that were very cute and not normally done in a classroom. Here's a TikTok where a professor is sitting by a fireplace with a book resting on his lap and classical music playing as he's going through PowerPoint slides in a video. Have a listen. I didn't notice you there. So nice of you to join me. I was just warming myself by the fire, but I'm glad that you dropped in. As you know, I'm always happy to talk a little about history. I've seen something beyond TikTok. I've seen a teacher named Miss Brittany Lynch, a grade nine algebra one teacher in Southeast DC. She's been teaching a lesson via Zoom on parabolas and she got each student to show something in their home that's shaped like a parabola that's concave up. So have a listen to the audio. I found it via the Shade Rooms uh, Instagram account. So now I want everyone to go ahead and show me their example. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna um, spotlight your video. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna call your name and then you get to show your stuff. So King, since you already here first, King, what um, item did you find in your house that uh, concave up? Like a parabola. Oh, that's a great a baby's beard. A beard. <laughs> Brianna, since you, since you are here, what do you have, Brianna? Uh, oh, okay, good job. What do you have, Andre? My sister's shoe. See? Okay. <laughs> Keyshawn, what do you have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keyshawn, what do you have? Oh, I got this, an earring. Earring, all right, you say earring. The next set of TikTok videos that I found related to stress with e-learning. The first video is about a student who received five emails from the same teacher. Have a listen. My teachers have been emailing me, but I pretend I do not see it. I literally just got five emails in a row from one teacher. I don't know what you're assigning. But it sounds demonic. I'll read some of the comments from people who watched that TikTok video. One viewer says, For some reason, my brain thinks school is optional, and I don't have any work at all. Another user writes, Homework? At home? Someone's getting sued. 
<laughs> Another user writes, I just logged out of my school email because I don't need to hear the negativity of do your assignments. Another user comments, my teachers keep emailing me to participate and do my work, but I cannot see. Another user writes, I can quote 7,000 teachers all at once with this is completely optional. And then this assignment is now due in 24 hours. Another user comments, I was avoiding my algebra Zoom class while still logged into regular online school, so my teacher emailed me, I see you there. And that is fear. Another video shows a boy logging onto various platforms such as his Microsoft account, uh, Microsoft Teams, Quizlet, having to do a CAPTCHA authentication to prove if he's human, logging into Flipgrid, Edpuzzle, etc. And this TikTok is titled, Stop Assigning Us Work on Different Websites. I'll read some of the comments. One user writes, Mine has four different platforms. I already complained about it. It's unorganized and an absolute pain. Zoom times are unposted too. Genius. Another user writes, and that's on Microsoft Teams, Apex, Quizlet, Office 365, Zoom, Google Classroom, and Portal. Another user writes, I have 18 tabs open right now. Another user writes, can they just make it all Google Classroom, please? Another user writes, I already didn't have motivation to do work, but now I have to hike Mount Everest, swim seven laps of the planet, and go through 543 emails just to get to it. Another user writes, I can't even get on the websites because they put too much. It's so confusing. I'd rather actually just go back to school. I think this relates back to also how organizations, companies, they waste a lot of productivity, time, and money as well just for passwords, logging in and out. I think we don't realize how much time we actually spend in a day or in a year simply logging in, logging out, remembering passwords, retrieving passwords, um, authenticating ourselves. I think it's something we're just so used to, but we don't realize that we do it a lot. And if students are doing that a lot, it, I don't think teachers see that as a stressor at all. Like It's just like, okay, we need to use this online platform or this online tool. From my experience with e-learning and taking online courses, teachers aren't aware a lot of times that they're probably assigning more work than normal and that their work requires a lot of screen time than a traditional classroom. And notifications and emails can cause anxiety. Responding to discussion forums where you have to respond to like at least two people, it feels forced and fake. That's another issue I had. And I think teachers in a school should be using the same online tool and be posting in the same manner so that students don't have to learn each teacher's different online tool that they prefer and their style of posting. I think it should be uh, ubiquitous across the teachers in a school. And I think also teachers should have a limit to the number of emails or notifications they can send out for a specific course. Like I don't think principals discuss with teachers like, oh, by the way, sending out too many emails it adds up if there are eight courses it does make students feel stressed actually so having a quota for the number of emails you can send out per course per semester i think that would be a very cool idea there are some tiktok videos that relate to like 
overall life stress that some students are facing right now. I've seen a video of a girl crying in the evening to her mom over the stress of not being able to go out and see her friends. Let's have a listen. <laughs> I'm just done. I can't stay here any longer. I can't do it. with self-isolation there's an added element of fatigue it's hard to be motivated to have energy to complete work that may have been more feasible if the student was in a normal life routine with socializing seeing your friends going out more easily without the stigma of being out there have also been tiktok videos showing embarrassing moments for instructors there was an instructor who was using Zoom and made his background a just a bunch of New York City buildings and he pretended he was falling but then he actually fell. Let's have a listen. So I was telling everyone that I'm standing on the Empire State Building on this ledge and if I just oh, <laughs> oh my god did he fall? There are TikTok videos also highlighting embarrassing things that happen to students. There are also TikTok videos highlighting weak classroom management that's happening. I've seen a TikTok video where the teacher tells a student to stop eating. You can have a listen. Carl, I'm thinking, I don't think we can continue this way. Continue what way? <laughs> You're going to have to eat your lunch later. Mom, what are you talking about? My teacher's even saying eat my lunch later. No, 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 Carl, I don't want to have problems with you and your mom. Now she's yelling at me. I think it could be more difficult to manage a classroom while on video conference uh, compared to a traditional classroom. Um, students are in the comfort of their own homes, whereas in a classroom, that's the teacher's domain. There's also an extra layer of stress for the instructor because it's not just the students who are listening. Their family members can be in the same room also listening. Students can also easily be distracted. They are paying attention to what's happening on their screen while also having to pay attention to what's going on around them in the real world. Like if their parents or siblings or family members are walking around or asking them questions. They can hear their conversations and so on. It's quite distracting. There's an extra layer to this classroom management crisis now in an e-learning platform. You also have trolling. There are TikTok videos highlighting cheating. There's a video showing a dad telling his daughter to cheat on her online assignment. Let's have a listen. You had two tests. I did this! You got a 53 and a 60. You can cheat. It's online. I did cheat! And you still got a 53 yes. and a 60. I think cheating is easier now with e-learning. How can teachers be sure that students are not in a group chat during an online assessment? Students can have another device to look up answers. I've seen a TikTok where a teacher made her quiz as a Google form and a student was easily able to look at the page source for the solutions. Unfortunately, every teacher has been rushed into e-learning and will have to learn what tools are best to use for an assessment the hard way. Another obstacle that teachers face, and it's not their fault, are these websites and apps that claim to be for studying, but they, in my opinion, kind of walk that fine line between studying and facilitating cheating. 
And I wonder how these websites and apps will be perceived by stakeholders in the future as e-learning becomes more and more common. Students even advertise for cheating. I've seen on Kijiji where there are several ads where students want someone to solve the solutions for their online assessments. I'll read some for you. There's one ad titled Algebra Math Exam. The description says, we'll pay for you to complete my algebra exam. Please contact. Here's another ad. Wanted statistics tutor to help me for three hours. Online quiz. Description. It's for an undergraduate statistics course. April 20th, 8.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. A lot of these ads on Kijiji aren't always explicit, but it's pretty much for cheating. They'll say, I need you to help me as I do an online quiz. Or they'll say, I need help for 10 questions for this day. So obviously for a certain time period because you're being timed for maybe a test or an online quiz. It's... It is cheating. You're asking someone not necessarily for help. You're asking them to guide you for how to get the solution to a problem. Also, you're not supposed to be assisted during an online assessment like that. That is that is cheating. That being said, there's been a lot of creativity on TikTok in this self-isolating period of time. The content has been more creative. The work of Annette Leroux, a sociologist working at the University of Pennsylvania, may actually help support this. She's done work on unequal childhoods, where she discusses two kinds of child-rearing practices, concerted cultivation and natural growth. Concerted cultivation involves high levels of extracurricular activities, whereas natural growth gives children more leisure time that is self-directed and unstructured. Leroux finds that children who experience natural growth tend to be more creative. This isn't just a period of e-learning that everyone's taking part in because it's popular. It's because of self-isolating. So I'm wondering, what is the effect of self-isolating on e-learners? Well, let's start by defining isolation. It's defined as a state or situation characterized by being physically separated from other people, whether intentional or not. In the Journal of Health Psychology, a report titled Loneliness, social isolation, their synergistic interaction, and mortality by Johannes Beller and Adina Wagner was published in 2018. In it, they found that a higher level of social isolation usually produces higher levels of loneliness. So I'm thinking that if students are feeling more lonely, that can probably have an impact on their mental health, which may affect their mood when they're working on assignments. Uh, who knows, it may also have an impact on their physical health, which is tied to your mental health in any way. Hilary Bruick of businessinsider.com also wrote a piece in 2018 called, We're learning more about how social isolation damages your brain and body. I'll read some parts of that article. This form of extreme self-exile has been linked to a host of debilitating health problems, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking. Being socially disconnected can also up your risk of developing high blood pressure or inflammation and make people more aggressive. There's also budding evidence that socially isolated people are changing their brain chemistry in dangerous ways. One recent study in mice found that just two weeks of social isolation stress caused negative behavioral changes and shifts in their brain chemistry. A group of German researchers revealed that connecting more with others can boost how people rate their own satisfaction with life. 
this makes me think if e-learners today are facing these changes how are they being supported my professors for this last semester of teachers college allowed me to submit assignments past their deadlines because i felt mental block and fatigue from working at home every day uh, and i found that to be a relief although i still felt a dark cloud over my head when i had assignments looming we're in such a unique time where such a large group of learners are learning from home and self-isolating self-isolation feels like pseudo house arrest so maybe research about house arrest can shed some light on the effects of self-isolating i found an article titled house arrest or developmental arrest a study of youth under house arrest in the international journal of offender therapy and comparative criminology by elad chamiel and sophie walsh the research examined the experience of 14 adolescents under house arrest. I'll read an overview of the findings. So, an analysis of the youth's interviews reveals two very different potential and actual experiences of house arrest. In the first case, the period of detention could be seen as a period of rethinking their behavior and way of life that led them to that situation. An opportunity to learn, creating an organized agenda, and strengthening contact with parents and family members. The second case is characterized by a chaotic period of detention without a clear agenda and boundaries, experienced by the boys as a waste of time, without new learning and experience, with friction and quarrels with family members and supervisors, and feelings of loneliness and frustration from missing out on social contact. They're the boys who burnt away half the day in sleep and for whom we would like to suggest the experience of house arrest can be a highly detrimental developmental experience or developmental arrest. It is important to note that for all the boys from both groups, the period of detention was experienced as a period of suffering and punishment, but the findings suggest that the nature of the experience can vary significantly between individuals. Wow, that's so interesting. I've been seeing jokes online about abnormal sleep schedules, so that fits the second cohort of boys who face that chaotic experience from house arrest. Um, I've also seen jokes online about students kind of like butting heads with family members because they're in close quarters. I can see that also from the second cohort of students. The findings from that research make me think though that perhaps even those students are doing coursework during this time maybe some of them still feel like they're not actually learning anything although educators are trying their best to recreate a regular classroom even by having synchronous video conferencing meetings this still does not create an authentic social interaction school is a place not just for academic learning but for social learning if students are lacking face-to-face -face interactions with people their own age then what are the effects of that I think all students are being held back socially. If we continue to live at a distance, then we should expect an impact on student work. When students finally return to physical schools, how will they adjust? Would the hysteria of the previous months have an effect on them? Will they have trauma from what they just experienced? I think teachers and schools should not transition to business as usual when students finally do return to school. Students should have some time to talk about what happened and how they experienced it. Educators should also reteach study habits. 
their self-regulation and time management may have taken a toll during the months without being in a classroom. Educators should still, though, retain a high standard of learning. We should teach our students about how to approach risk. Instead of resorting to panic and extremes, we should teach them to remain calm and level-headed. Educators can discuss how their course relates to what happened in the previous months because what is happening and what has happened and what will happen does relate to every subject. Science, math, English, history, physics, computer science, everything ties back to it. Marketing, media studies, so on and so forth. Graphic design, it all ties back. Back to the key concerns of e-learning from the TDSB survey, I think e-learning has to consider the physical and mental health of students. Though many educators and administrators are sending emails showing support and commiseration for what students are going through and for what everyone is going through, I don't actually know what steps are being taken to accommodate students, to adjust assignments, to adjust expectations. I think a good start would to be to ensure that whatever is being assigned doesn't require students to spend too much screen time. So that's the end of this podcast episode 10, e-learning for all. Have a listen to what other educators think about e-learning. I don't believe that students should get the same amount of homework for online classes in comparison to um the traditional classroom because I think it has to do with the matter of access. Do students, do all students have access to an environment in which they can complete their homework? Um, And many of the times we can't really give that answer and because we can't say the answer for that, I would have to say that we shouldn't take the chance because a lot of the times um, home isn't a place for students to do homework. A lot of students do homework at the school, at the library. Um, so, and also it matters, what matters is the access to technology and access to asking teachers questions. A lot of students aren't able to ask teachers questions within a timely manner or show them their work at formative assessment and so on that they would have in a traditional classroom. Uh, so for that reason, because of the limitations to access to one, an appropriate learning environment, access to help from teachers, oh, and access to technology that might help them as well, I don't believe that educators should be giving them the same amount of homework. I think that distance education, like face-to-face education, might be scalable, but not without risks to the overall quality. I think most undergraduate students would tell you that there's a difference between a lecture hall with 500 students and a small seminar. And I think the same thing is true with learning um, that is remote or online. The fact is, the more impersonal learning gets and the larger the group, the fewer opportunities there are for spontaneity, enrichment, and individualized supports. And those are all things that enhance the learning. We can uh, enhance large classes uh, and try to provide some of those things with small breakout discussions and group interactions. And we can do that whether they're face-to-face or online. But ultimately, I do think that something gets sacrificed in larger groups. I think it's particularly challenging to create opportunities for spontaneous collaboration in situations where learning is, is asynchronous And this may be a problem for some um, remote learning opportunities. So it requires some more creativity uh, if there are large groups of students to think about 
how we're going to create those opportunities um, for personalization. There's a lot of discussion about opportunities for cheating in distance education, a lot of which I think may be unwarranted. I'm not sure what sort of studies there have been out there to, uh, to, to prove whether or not that's the case. I have heard anecdotally that at the University of Toronto, students are being asked to sign contracts to say that the work that they are submitting is their own and that that has been proven successful. Again, that's just anecdotal. I think the technology itself provides uh, more avenues for cheating, but it doesn't necessarily increase the incidence of it. So I think if a student really wants to cheat, they will find ways to try to do it and they won't necessarily succeed. However, I believe that generally most students will avoid the risk of cheating if they feel confident in the work that they're doing and know that they are trusted.